This is Rewired Radio with Erica Spiegelman, addiction and wellness specialist, motivational speaker, and author, helping individuals, couples, and families regain a sense of control, leading to personal growth, wellness, and a more fulfilling life. Here's Erica Spiegelman. Welcome, everyone. When it comes to the feelings uh, of the food chain, all the feelings that we have, all the emotions, anger is right at the top. Anger could devour our lives, making us lose sight of the fact that anger often stems from feelings of fear and sadness. And anger, as we know, can profoundly affect our lives if we don't know how to manifest it, understand it, and get to the root of where it's coming from. If we don't understand that, we can never really set ourselves free from its negative energy. And my guest today, Todd Stumbo, is a board-certified human services practitioner and a certified anger management specialist. Todd is here today to talk to us about how we can work through our anger and will offer us tips for how to transform our anger and fear into productive and positive energy in our lives. Uh, Todd Stumbo is also the CEO of Blue Ridge Mountain Recovery Center. Todd, welcome to the show. It's my honor to have you on with me today. Thank you for having me. You do so much and you, you know, I mean, you work with people on the front lines every single day, uh, which I, you know, I'm I'm so grateful for the work you do. Um, But really, when it comes also about channeling this kind of negative energy or anger or fear into something that's positive, I think you are, you are the expert at that. So can we talk about um, a little bit how that, that, you know, kind of manifested for you, how you became interested in this line of healing? Yeah, absolutely. Well, when I got sober uh, about 12 years ago, one of the things that that I struggled with was an anger issue. Well, what I thought to be an anger issue. As I Mm -hmm. went through anger management and and kind of unearthed it, it really was a fear issue. It came down to fear, insecurity, sadness, and hurt were the three main kind of feelings that I struggled with, and they'd manifest themselves as anger and rage. Mm-hmm. Um, so as I started to look at that, because it, it, even though I was sober, it was still destroying my life, uh, you know, in ways that were unhealthy with relationships, employment, things like that. Mm-hmm. So I had to start to look at it and break down kind of the frequency of how it's happening, the duration, the intensity, um, identify those those feelings I was having, start to clarify what they were and express them in an appropriate way. Right. So as I went through that process, you know, the one thing that I started to learn is I thought anger management was about not getting angry, and that's not the case. Uh, what it <laughs> yeah. came down to was truly I had to shift and change some beliefs and perceptions about the world and around about the people around me as well as my beliefs and perceptions about myself and how I thought other view, people viewed me. Um, and a lot of those beliefs and perceptions are what created those feelings of fear, insecurity, sadness, and hurt. So as I started to kind of look at that stuff, what I realized is those four feelings create what I now call, uh, to match our theme as being Blue Ridge Mountain, I call the anger avalanche. Mm -hmm. So with those four things, it started to kind of flow in my life and create all this anger, which turned into rage. And when I had that rage, eventually you come off that high, you know, it's that tension reduction. And what I was left with was this guilt, shame, and remorse and I never really worked through that guilt, shame, and remorse, and it just kept me in this cycle. Then I went right back to the fear, insecurity, sadness, and hurt, led back to anger, back to rage, and just stayed in this cycle over and mm-hmm. over and over. So it's so unhealthy. So one of the things that I started to, to see was staying in that cycle negatively impacted 
impacted almost every relationship around me, though I was getting sober and trying to do the right things. So as I kind of coped with that stuff and learned to change my beliefs and perceptions, my life started to improve. And I used a pretty old technique, but I used the, the ABC model of anger, which was created by Albert Ellis. You know, and I used it not just with anger, but with that fear, insecurity, sadness, and hurt. Um, I was able to kind of see the event that, that activated me, so to speak, check my beliefs and perceptions and thoughts and attitudes about that event, look mm-hmm. at kind of my consequences. Okay, if I act this way, you know, I was able to stop and then look, do I act this way, what would it look like? Um, mm-hmm. Then detect and dispute any kind of unhealthy beliefs and perceptions I may be having, look at a, a different outcome or effect I want to have, and then take action. Uh, so mm-hmm. that's really how I started to change a lot of that, that anger outburst, if you will. Because uh, what I figured out was the fear, insecurity, sadness, and hurt is that led to the anger was really pulling me away from my purpose, if you will, uh, or, or my why, what I believed in about myself, what I thought I should be doing. Uh, mm-hmm. when, I believe when we're able to change our perceptions and belief we're able to move into a place of motivation and insight. So mm-hmm. when we change our belief and perceptions, it doesn't mean that the fear, insecurity, sadness, and hurt goes away or doesn't exist or doesn't occur. It just simply helps us deal with life on life's terms. And when we mm-hmm. do that, we start to find purpose and meaning. You know, so when I started to find that purpose and meaning, the fear, insecurity, a lot of that started to resolve itself with purpose and meaning, I became a pretty powerful person. Yeah, I sort of mm-hmm. feel it, and other people do as well. With that power comes influence, and you're able to start to influence uh, other people and create change. And when you're able to start to create change, you start to believe in, on a daily basis in what you do. Mm-hmm. So as that started to occur, you know, because I, I always looked at myself and said, well, I'm just one person. I can't change the world. I can't change people. I can't this. I can't that. But the reality of it is this whole battle with anger helped me realize the power of one and that one person has the power to influence millions. You know, it just depends on whether it's going to be positive or negative. I mean, you look at history with Hitler versus Martin Luther King Jr., Mother Teresa or Joseph Stalin. The reality Mm -hmm. of it is if one person goes out and positively affects 10 other people, in a year's time, and then those 10 did the same thing. In a seven-year period, you've got a million people that have been positively affected. Uh, right. That's a pretty profound number, starting with mm-hmm. one person. Right. So those are a lot of things that kind of my own personal journey through anger really led me to my purpose in life, my calling in life, uh, what I believe to be my why. Mm-hmm. I love that. The why I want to talk about that, too. But I, I had a question as you were talking. Um, you know, I think it's important to, for people to understand that, you know, all of this, um, all of this awareness that you had, you know, it, it does take a, a moment to, to build the muscle of awareness of, of, oh, you know, I'm angry and I'm angry because I feel misunderstood. Why do I feel misunderstood? You know, I should pause. Maybe I need to communicate better. You know, I mean, that takes that takes some practice. I think that takes a lot of uh, action on on someone's part, which I think everyone is capable of doing. But from what I see working with my clients, that's the hardest part. The challenge is, you know, I, I will I will talk to a client about something of this nature and they'll say, well, I don't know how to get started. 
you know, like, where do I begin? I've had this self-fulfilling prophecy. I've had this pattern going on since I was five years old. I was an angry kid. I was beating kids up. I was beating up my brother. I, you know, I have a lot of clients that are very angry um, or have had issues with anger, really disguised as fear and insecurity. But but um, how, how do we get people to start to take action or at least create an awareness where um, they could see that they're capable of creating change? They can create the change. They just don't know how. Well, I think first people have to quit trying to avoid anger. You know, a lot of people, again, my my thought when people told me you got an anger problem is, okay, I have to avoid any situation that I'm going to get angry in. Mm-hmm. And, and I almost felt like a failure when I would get angry. So the reality right. is I think the first thing we have to do is Embrace realize it. that anger is, is a, a normal feeling. We're going to have it, and that's not what anger management is about. It's not about getting rid of it. Um, right. Once you get to that belief system, say, okay, I know I'm going to get angry. I'm going to quit avoiding those situations. You almost mm-hmm. treat anger like an old friend, and you welcome in, welcoming in your home when he knocks on the door. Say, hey, come on right. in, because if I don't get a practice with you, I'll never learn how to deal with it. Um, exactly. And I look at, yeah. at practice, if you break it down as an acronym, it's putting right actions, choices, thoughts into consciousness every day. And mm. one thing I did early on was I had a stop sign, a small pocket-sized stop sign that was laminated that I was I had to carry like my car keys in my pocket. Mm. Uh, and I carried it around, carried it around, so when I had road rage or whatever the case may be, I could reach in my pocket or know it's there, pull it out, and still to this day when I get angry visually, the first thing I see is a red stop sign. Uh, so it, that is one tool you can use right away to for people saying, well, I, what do I do? Where do I get started? Is yeah, great technique. To, you know, you have to get something tangible in place to where you can say, hey, here's my stop sign. I'm going to slow down, stop, think about what I'm doing, that kind of deal. So I think people just mm-hmm. have to change that belief that anger management is about avoiding anger first. They have to know it's going to come. Uh, right. How do I deal with it? You know? and- and Todd, would you say that, you know, being being angry, let's say, uh, well, were you, were you, did you deal with anger as a child or like a young adult or a teenager? Yeah, and, and kind of the way it happened for me was, you know, I grew up in a small town of 900 people. I had red hair. Nobody else in the town had red hair. Uh, I got mm-hmm. made fun of a lot. So it was constant right. fights wherever I right. went, uh, right. you know, and it, it, that's kind of created this. Right. internal force inside of me that it went, but it was all fear and insecurity. You're listening to Rewired Radio. Now a quick message from today's sponsor, Organifi. Organifi is how I upgrade my nutrition when I'm on the road. Every single person needs to have green superfood supplements in their life because even when you're eating really healthy, your veggies lose a ton of their nutritional value just sitting on the shelf for days before you eat them. Not a lot of us have time or the means to get all natural, fresh, organic vegetables, especially when building a business, which is why I love to use Organifi green juice. It's so quick and easy and it tastes so great. Try out their green juice for 20% using the code rewired at checkout on Organifi.com. That's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com. The link is posted in all of our shows. Right. Well, I was going to say, because, you know, a lot of this stems from when we're younger like that, of being emotionally misunderstood or, you know, emotionally um, not, you know, being, being hurt or wounded, but also then that creates, um, a 
a dialogue, a narrative in your head. You know, if someone made fun of you, then it's like, you know, I'm not, I'm not good enough. I'm not, you know, I don't look normal. I look different. I'm different. I don't fit in. You know, that's the dialogue that sticks with us into our adulthood, into our teenage, you know, I guess young adulthood. And that's where I think, you know, those kind of like injuries or I guess old stories or narratives that, that get placed in our minds kind of start to hijack and take over our lives. And that's where I think where you were discussing changing your thoughts and beliefs about yourself means you have to change your narrative, right? Like, Absolutely. Do you agree? Yeah, no. Yeah. Totally agree. Cause it, for, for my own personal story, I went to extents of shaving my head with a straight razor so nobody knew I had red hair. And, and it, you know, my mom in high right. school, I'll never forget, she would talk about having to deal with other opposing teams, families, saying, oh, look at that young man. He's so brave playing with cancer, you know, because they thought I had cancer because I kept my head shaved. Wow. So wow. as I got sober, uh, my counselor came up to me. He's like, hey, you know that redheads are like less than 2% of the population. You're very unique. And he showed mm-hmm. me all these studies, and we were able to talk about it. It actually helped me to change my perception and actually own and appreciate who God had made me. You know? Of course. So I was able to start to move. The part that I didn't see, though, is over that, that 25, 30-year period, what got created in me was automatic reaction to the world that when I walk in a room, if I make the people in that room fear me off the bat, they can't ever get close enough to me to hurt me. So I right. became very dominant when I came in rooms, things like that. And I had it right. started to affect me and even though it was happening. You know? right. um, and one, right. one other technique you can use, and I used it, was a uh, one of my division CEOs gave me an assignment that changed my entire life. He had me go to three people and of what is it like to be or live on the other side of me? You know, what's the experience like? Uh, and those people wrote about 21 pages of information down, which I thought it was going to be all how awesome I was and amazing and all that. Uh, mm-hmm. But out of nine, out of 21 pages, I only got 20 pages back. My wife at the time wouldn't even give me one of the pages. But out of those 20, 19 and a quarter were defects. And a lot had to do with my demeanor, my, my uh-huh. dominance, all this stuff that stemmed out of an anger issue, which stemmed out of a fear and insecurity issue. I mean, it's pretty profound how deep it is. Uh-huh. Wow. That's a really cool exercise. So uh, just to ask uh, ask people what the experience is to live on the other side of me, right? Is that what you yeah. said? Yeah, yeah because mm-hmm. our perception of what they think it may be very different. Uh, for example, I viewed viewed what I had done when I got sober of committing my life to, to work and this, that, being hardest worker in the room, all these things, a great provider, making sure that my wife at the time, uh, she didn't have to, to work if she didn't want to, whatever I could do, uh, carry right. three jobs, this kind of thing. And she, out of all of her stuff, what I remember, she, I thought I was a great provider, it, give up things, sacrifice, she saw neglect. So mm-hmm. it was a pretty profound mm-hmm. change for me, you know, to see and ask people, mm-hmm. what does it really feel like to be on the other side of me and beg them for the truth? Because mm-hmm. if you don't get the truth out of them, you'll never change. Right, right, right. Well, and that's and that's key is, I think, to ask people that feel safe enough to do that for you or provide you with that. You know, it, that's yeah. it's a fantastic exercise of executed in all honesty and transparency, you know. Yeah, and that, you know, for me, what had to happen was they wrote it all down on paper, sealed it in envelopes, and then I took those mm-hmm. and read them, 
stayed away from those people for about two and a half, three hours, worked with my sponsor, went to a meeting. You know, I had to really process through it because it was a hard lick to take. Mm-hmm, um, so mm-hmm. it's one of those, it's just like the, the third step. Don't If you really don't want your life to be transformed or changed or rattled, don't do, really commit and do the exercise. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Well, be prepared to hear whatever it is that you are going to hear, Absolutely. you know, no expect. Yeah. And so let's go, you know, you were saying, um, you know, I know you help people get to their why or you, you've, you've come to your why. And, and is that, is that something that, you know, I mean, in you, cause you know, working with people that are in recovery, which you do every day, um, it, I think it is it begs the question all the time. I mean, it's one of the main questions I get, you know, when I'm working with my clients in recovery is, you know, what what am I here for? What's the purpose? And and I think they truly feel that they that there is their purpose because they've had these second chances at life or, or third chances or 10th chance. But I, I do feel like deep down in the core of their, of their soul or spirit that they do know that there is something bigger for them. And I think it's really important that the people working with them as I'm a counselor as well is is to be able to provide them with some hope and guide them in 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 a, in a way so that they can create the life that they want. How do you help people see their why, or or what are some of their exercises or conversations you have to get that kind of um get that kind of action started? Well, the first thing there's a, a saying this guy said, you know, when everybody is going to leave this world, and there's going to be two dates on either side of a dash. So it's finding out what's in the middle of that dash, you know, and, uh-huh. and I ask people all the time, but when I, I do interviews and hire people, um, I, I really ask them, what is it that, that wakes you up in the morning? What really gets you fired up and going on a daily basis? Have you ever experienced it? You know, mm-hmm. and because and, I'm not a, here to hire people for a job. I want to give people a career and I want to help them find the reason they exist. So to speak, right. Um, right? So it's it's one of those things that I think that that everybody has a different way to go about doing it. For me, it was constant prayer, um, constant devotion. I had to go out and write a life mission statement and identify mm-hmm. kind of four or five true characteristics that I wanted to stand for in all my affairs uh, and mm-hmm. live by that on a daily basis and come up with this is why I do what I do. Um, because I had taken from this world so much. I'd lived on this side of the tracks, and now it's time for me to live on a different side of the tracks, and here's what it's going to take. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I don't think there's an easy way to find your why. What I do know is it's what terrifies you. It's what makes you uncomfortable. If you live your life on a daily basis in comfort, I can guarantee you you're not in your why. Uh, It's something Mm -hmm. that will push you kind of to the edge of, of your life to where, hey, this terrifies me. I could be good at it, but I might not be, you know, those mm-hmm. kind of situations. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, that's kind of one of the things I, I tell people what they really need to do is go on a retreat, some sort of soul searching, look at their job. Do, are they really in, say, this field, the, the health field, uh, because they love what they do? Or was it mm-hmm. easy to do this, graduate from college with this, or whatever the case may be? Because none of us, I don't think, are in it for the money. It's now why am I here? Mm-hmm. It will eat you mm-hmm. alive. This business tough. But, you know, nowadays with the heroin epidemic, people are dying left and right. Uh, yeah. and, and we have to be aware that if I don't show up and sit across from the person I'm trying to help with 110% of me believing in every ounce of me that I can help this person change and they're the one that's going to mm-hmm. change, that they're mm-hmm. done. Right. 
Absolutely. I, I feel the same. I feel the same uh, responsibility is what you're talking about. And, and, you know, fortunately, I think that there are so many amazing people working in this field, especially, you know, meeting you and going to, you know, Todd and I met at a, a big conference. And I think just going and seeing all the, these wonderful facilities and places all over the country um, and, and the dedication of the people working there is really incredible. So tell me a little bit about um, Blue Ridge, just to so that, you know, our listeners know where, where to find you. We are located in Ball Ground, Georgia, which is about 45 minutes north of Atlanta. Uh, we uh-huh. are a subacute detox and intensive residential program, minimum of 35 days, and we're set in a 18,000 square foot mountain mansion on 40 acres of property. So we do things a little different than the norm here in wow. Georgia. Uh, we're not mm-hmm. a hospital setting. We're not anything like that. We want people when they come through our doors. My my three core principles. I want That's fantastic. Yeah, I think it's wonderful when you were telling me about um, this this program, this kind of relapse uh, cleanup program. I, I think there's so many people that do wind up falling down or relapsing or making a mistake, whatever we want to call it, doesn't matter. But but it, that that they should not just give up and they should not just you know uh, be so deterred that they go and and go on a big or disappear for another year. I mean, there's really, there's really such, I think, growth and seeds planted in every kind of, uh, any day that you have sober. And, and, you know, for some people that have six months and relapse or they have two years and relapse, I mean, those two years aren't gone, you know? So I really love that you're able to process that guilt and shame maybe around that slip that they've had and, and get them right back up and right back to where they, they left off or even, you know, further along for just understanding the lessons that they learned. I think that's so important. 
Absolutely. I mean, they come in and they expect disappointment from people around them. And what we try to welcome oh, yeah. is, right. is encouragement and support, kind of like a, a phrase, a high five of, hey, man, you, you were willing to come in, you stayed alive, let's, let's get back on track. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's very rare. So, I mean, hats off to you guys for being able to do that and, and give people hope. I, I feel that, um, you know, more often than none, you know, people ask me all the time. I get calls from people that listen to the radio show or we get my book or, you know, kind of like they want to know numbers. Like, am I going to relapse? Or if my son comes in, do you think he's going to relapse? Do you think this is going to happen? And I, you know, I always say it, it, it depends on the individual. But if they do fall or if there is something that happens, you know, it doesn't have to be so devastating where they go all the way back to the hole that they came out of. You know, it, it, there really, there is a lot of people I've seen that, you know, maybe do have a fall, but that is it. After that, they get up and they actually see their mistakes. They've, they've grown in in with emotional intelligence, you know, through their, through their first round of treatment. They've learned a lot about themselves. They start beginning the process of finding their why or their purpose. So I, I just think no matter what, I always encourage people just get the help now. No one has to be 100% ready. We can't answer all the questions of the unknown. It's just a matter of let's do this in the present moment. Let's do it today and start yeah. where, you know, start start now. Yeah. I, and I agree. One thing you just said is that that, that belief system mm-hmm. that people have to be ready to get sober is killing people. Um, right. I wasn't ready to get sober, and, and my family started listening to professionals and forced me into a situation where it was that or be homeless. And it was the best thing that ever happened to me. I, I stayed around long enough where I got to this place that, you know, you can, you can't, you can lead a horse to water, can't make it drink. I hear that, but you can lead a man to a well and make you thirsty. And that's what Blue Ridge is. Right. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Todd, thank you so much for being with me today. Could you tell everybody where they could find you or find Blue Ridge? Give the website, please. Yeah, we're www.blueridgemountainrecovery.com and our phone number is one eight 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 seven two four one seven nine three. You can also put us in on Facebook, LinkedIn, anything like that, and find us as well. Okay, great. And I know that you um, also, you, you know, you 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 do a lot on your own, so people could also find um, Todd at Blue Ridge Mountain Recovery, or just call and ask for you. So thank Absolutely. you so much for being with. Yeah, thank you so much for being with me today and discussing um, how really we can all pull through. All the all of our emotions, learn how to sit in them and, and have them serve us to really live our best lives. So I appreciate you being here with me today. Thank you're you listening too, to Rewired Yeah, you're li- listening to Rewired Radio on Radio MD. I'm Erica Spiegelman. Thank you all for joining us and stay well.